Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brian Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of LL Research, an organization dedicated to sharing spiritual information with the world. You can find out more about LL Research at llresearch.org. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who claim to hail from an organization they call the Confederation of Planets in service to the infinite creator. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. How's it going, Ryan? Doing well, Jeremy. How are you? Oh, I'm back from uh, vacation and... I wouldn't say I feel rested, but I feel that kind of exhaustion, the exhaustion that comes from, you know, spending time with loved ones in a really intense manner and just having a good time and being out in the sun quite a bit, getting, you know, nearly burned, mm. uh, being exhausted by swimming all the time. It was it was a fantastic, uh, time, a fantastic way to spend time. I hope that I am bringing a, <laughs> a fully rested mind to bear because I didn't do any of the work that I thought I was going to do with all my downtime. All of my downtime was spent just swimming, it seems like. So uh, I hope I'm fresh for y'all. <laughs> Did you wear your sunscreen? Uh, well, see, here's the thing. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I, I wore the sunscreen all the time, except for the first day. Of course. Yeah, right. Of so course. like I got that I got a little bit of burn, but I haven't had any peeling yet, so <laughs> I'm going to go with that. I think I think it's okay. <laughs> I la yesterday was a very nice day out here and I did not wear sunscreen and being a Pacific Northwesterner, it kind of doesn't matter what time of year it is. Everyone is exceptionally pale, you know. Yeah. Until you get into August when you have a whole month of July is a lot of sun. But, you know, then people are working indoors. Anyways, I thought maybe because we had been to Hawaii not too long ago, perhaps I still had some tan left to help as a natural sunscreen, a natural sun deterrent. Nope, I was outside for about an hour and a half. I did a workout and then I mowed the lawn, I mowed my neighbor's lawn. And then last night, you know, I'm looking at my, my skin right before I go to bed. I'm like, what? Where did where did this come from? It did not take me long to get burnt. And of course, my wife pleasantly reminded me that um, I need to wear my sunscreen. And I agree. <laughs> so we all learn the hard way, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. The best lessons are sometimes. No, quite often, actually, the best lessons are the ones that you learn the hardest, the ones that you earn, you know. Yeah, it's just weird. I think it's weird because uh, in Confederation channeling, they always talk about the sun as either a metaphor or literally the spiritual entity that is projecting love and light to us. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little bit uh, off-putting to think of how damaging that love can be. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, as uh, who who Orcon Orcon that what that one-time source that came in that that likened love and that that central energy as fire you know and yeah it can keep you warm but it can also burn so i think i think it's still apt <laughs> i think it's still apt yeah 
it kind of remind it just kind of reminds me if there's any uh, Twin Peaks fans out there. There's this phrase "fire walk with me" that's all throughout it, hmm. and uh, you know, I I I happen to think that Twin Peaks is a really 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 good study in polarity exceptionally good actually um because of how much much mystery it leaves uncovered i think lynch is really uh you know we already know that lynch uh, david lynch is into transcendental meditation yes which as an organization had you know (laughs) uh most organizations are uh have something to be uh object to to, right it's an organization yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's an organization Mm -hmm. but he he seems to understand uh something about life and uh human experience that you know you you might you might find it completely indulgent or or even bad art but i tend to think that the the way that he poses questions in his movies in the way that he captures things in the way that characters can sometimes relate to each other in this very odd way uh brings to film a um a quality of our lives of that confusion that often film tends to be more about you know figuring things out you know i'm thinking of for example the usual suspects that scene where he Mm. finally figures out who kaiser soze is but like you never figure out who kaiser soze is in (laughs) lynch stuff the whole point is to keep it unanswered and i just think about um oh i'm really getting off off (laughs) i'm really getting off off (laughs) that's okay here let me let me let me put a period at the end of this i'll just say i do not know what twin peaks is i watch very little i actually watch very little tv let me back up. I think YouTube these days counts as TV. So I'm going to say <laughs> I do watch TV, but I don't watch the, a lot of traditional TV shows because not a whole lot resonates with me. I just can't seem to sit down and watch it. But perhaps I'll add Twin Peaks to the short list of things to check out. Please do not say that I did not warn you. <laughs> Fair enough. Noted. <laughs> uh, uh, and like uh, getting through the end of the second season is a real slog. And mm. some parts of it are really, really cheesy, like early 90s cheesy, like just ridiculous. Um, but when they came out with the third season, Twin Peaks The Return in 2017, Oh my God. <laughs> there is so much there for a student of Confederation philosophy to, to ponder. I, okay. I, I'll leave it there. Okay. I won't turn it. the period into a uh, ellipsis, right? <laughs> well, I will check it out. I will check it out. Oh boy. So I think we have some good stuff in front of us today. We are going to wrap up the energy centers. We've got Indigo and Violet to talk about. And then I know we want to dive into this quote transcript from May of 2000 about emotions. And again, I am, uh, I have yet to digest the entire transcript because it is so thick with good things to think about. But one thing in particular that I enjoy about the transcript is that Almost right off the bat, Quo is t- talks about the energy centers, um, and so I think it'll be a nice tie together because on on its face, if I just said, "Oh, we're going to cover some energy centers and then we're going to talk about emotion," you'd be like, "Yeah, okay, nice transition, guys." But 
I think um, we'll find there actually is some very nice transitory or tran- transitionary material and connections between the emotions and purified emotions and the energy centers. So I'm excited to read, look through this transcript, read through it a bit, talk about it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Uh, I don't think that the, the last two centers will take that long. They won't. They won't. We could do it right now. No, we're not going to yeah. do it right now. Just... <laughs> <laughs> one's indica, one's violent. One's, all right, done. All right, next. <laughs> okay. For and now, I know if if um, for for the dedicated but few listeners that we have, sorry, <laughs> but let's do a quick recap of what we covered. Let's just go through them. We've got yes, sir. Seven energy ray centers, or seven chakras. We've got. The root chakra, which is the red ray energy center movie. And that is just the base level existence, you know, food and shelter and reproduction. Just that, you know, that base level of being. Then we move up a level and we get to the orange ray energy center or the sacral chakra. And that has more to do with your experience of yourself and with yourself and with other individuals. And how do you love, judge, you know, interact with on an individual basis, you and others. Then one level up, we get to the solar plexus chakra or the yellow ray energy center, which has to do with you and your relation to groups, your interaction with whether it be, uh, I know Carla really likes to hit hard the more contractual type relationships such as marriage, um, but it includes your work, you know, your family, your, I'd say your church or any other group organization that you're part of, your your tribe, your whatever it is, but it is pertaining to you and groups. And by the way, Jeremy, let me know if you think I, I swerve off track with, with you know, my understanding. Nope. Right on. Tw- I say I say yellow rays kind of uh, involves the institution, the idea mm. of an institution, whether it's marriage and all the formalities that go along with it, whether it's work and all the formality, right? Institutions. And I've actually written about a little about this um, from a law of one perspective. That's a so good way. That's of, how I see it. That's a great way of putting it. That is actually a very good way of putting it. Ten points for you, Jamie. Ten <laughs> every, 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 uh, every episode we we record we get the first three rays a little bit better don't we i think so we're we're we are progressing along the path aren't we yeah so next up after level three we get to the fourth energy ray center which is the green ray energy center the heart chakra of love and understanding and that really is all about love unconditional love and understanding Moving on to the fifth is the blue ray energy center or the throat chakra. And that has to do with open and honest communication. Is it that simple? Is there one more thing you could add on the blue ray or is it just truly about open and honest? Oh, I like the way that you said it last time. The blue energy ray center is that first energy ray center that deals with how one is and acts regardless of how another acts first or how another person reacts. You just are. I love that explanation of it. The interesting thing about communication is we're able to infect other organisms with an idea, right? If I say yellow elephant, 
You can't think about, you can't not think about a yellow elephant Mm -hmm. by the very fact that you've interpreted my words, you have taken the concept on. I think that might be a portion of what they mean by you can radiate regardless of whether they accept or reject your radiation, right? Like they have to, in order to process the communication, deal with it. That we could spend, I think we could spend offline some good time talking about what exactly that means that you mm-hmm. can literally, you can incept, you know, you can incept an idea in someone just by talking, just by the fact that someone cannot stop their brain from interpreting your words. Or if there's a sign in English and you speak English or you read English, you're going to interpret that sign, that road sign. There's no stopping it. And I think there might be some power in that. The fact that you are able to plant ideas in someone just by speaking, that's that's an interesting idea. I use the word virus uh, kind of tongue in cheek, but it actually is a lot like a computer virus, right? Like the computer reads in the information. It doesn't have an opinion on it, right? Like Mm. it just takes it in as a process of processing it. And uh, if the information it takes in happens to be some sort of like instruction, it has to follow it because- how would it know the difference, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was um, there was a Joss Whedon show that ran for a little while called Dollhouse that kind of dealt with this in a science fiction manner okay. where like people would just, you know, pick up the phone and hear a, like a tone or something and they would become like automatons or something. Hmm. Like because, you know, the very fact of taking the information in also opens you up to what it what it means. Right. Like, yeah. So, yeah, Ooh, I'm in that, media criticism mode today. I don't know why I haven't fine. like watched anything Keep it <laughs> over coming. the last seven days. Keep it coming. So we can all have our opinions about you, Jeremy. We can, all- of course, <laughs> how would you judge otherwise? <laughs> um, so we, we get through those five and we move on to the sixth and that is the indigo, or I think you'd call it the third eye chakra or the pineal gland. And this, as I understand it, is, as Ra may put it, this indigo energy ray center is seeing oneself as the creator. Is that how you understand it? That's the best that I could find. Oh, uh, well, regardless of how I understand it, words are going to be a huge limitation Mm. on describing this in detail and and what the the listener will uh quickly learn is that there isn't that much to say mm-hmm. because indigo ray deals with essences it deals with uh some of the unformed energies that don't quite bubble up into our uh conscious awareness all the time and as we work more with our with our energy centers in uh, understanding how this flow occurs, we pick up on these subtleties that um, make perfect sense in our experience, but might not be something that we can easily communicate to another. Uh, Mm. This is why I think those who follow the path of the adept often talk in terms of metaphor. Um, And this idea of those who have ears to hear, let them them hear, right? Um, That kind of talk uh, allows for the relationships that 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 are involved in this uh, 
energy flow uh, to come out to those who already kind of know what is going on, who've already had the experience in which to ground this information. See, it works the other way too. If you don't, if your mental computer doesn't know how to respond to the instructions, it goes right over your head and it doesn't get Mm. processed. I think, Uh, I think that um, earlier in the transcript library, Hatan makes a comment or makes comments that they try to give them concepts or ideas that are a bit challenging for the for the for the channels to interpret. Therefore, they need to spend time in meditation because it is it's in meditation that they can start to clarify or or develop some of these some of these ideas. Um, I'm not sure how exactly that works because in my mind, in order to develop an idea, I have to think about it. You know, I've got to like work through it. I can't just focus on my breath or at least I haven't had that experience yet. But I do remember Hatan saying, um, you know, Hey, get to meditating more because you know, these, these more complex ideas that we're sending you, you're only going to start to understand them and put them together through meditation. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't think that uh, is particular to the indigo. Well, maybe it is. Maybe, you know, indigo is uh, the center of the adept. What do they mean by adept? That's something that that's a question we often hear. That's a question I was going to ask you. What what do you mean by adept? Because I I struggle with that with that concept. I would have struggled with it, too, had I not uh, read a bunch of different metaphysical, especially theosophical information mm-hmm. like Helen Blavatsky and uh, who was the guy uh, who did the uh, the astral projection, of the astral body. Some of those old books that were on my parents shelf, you know, that yeah. they never read anymore. And like as a 13 or 14 year old, I kind of like was like, what the heck is this? And they talk, and I think what an adept is, to put it succinctly, is someone who has grasped grasped the baton. Hmm. Somebody who has uh, made a conscious intention to work on the self, to do the work in consciousness, and therefore uh, is living life on a on a kind of like dual or different level, so that. Um, you know, let's let's put it this way. Maybe instead of simply praying, they combine prayer uh, with visualization uh, in order to work on a higher and more conscious level with these inchoate con- unconscious energies. Right. Um, maybe instead of simply uh, helping folks out when they're in need, uh, they do work to uh, help the entire planet. Hmm. Now, I'm sure there are people who do both of those things without knowing that they're adepts. And those of Ra do point out that many are adepts who don't think that they are. Um, but what I'm, I'm pointing at is this higher level of working in which you are participating in a, in a uh, oh, it, it, it's not so much reacting to things, right? It's more of this, once again, this projection, this radiation without the need for the, for the, for the, uh, reciprocal offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're kind of, uh, maybe a good way to say it is that you're, uh, you're, you're playing the game board on level two 
or three. I'm sure there's infinite levels. Mm-hmm. But uh, an adept is somebody who, and, and, you know, in a lot of this old theosophical society stuff, they would talk about adepts as being uh, in touch with, uh, you know, they called it the great white brotherhood. They don't, they don't mean white like race. They mean white, like the white light, like right? White magic. Yeah. And um, being in touch with these masters in the inner planes. And so you're, what you're doing is you're like, you're working on this higher level. Essentially, that's what an adept is. Okay. Anybody can be an adept. <laughs> okay. So it doesn't take a certain level of, say, achievement for to be considered an adept. For example, in the Raw Contact, Raw states that Rasputin was a conscious adept. It, of course, on the negative side, but Rasputin knew essentially what was up spiritually, metaphysically, and took that adepthood and consciously manifested whatever it was. That's that's how I understand it. That's my interpretation. I'm wondering if it Yeah, does it does it require some sort of ability or 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 conscious recognition that such and such exists and you're you're on that path. You're you're meditating daily, you're visualizing while praying, you're you're, you know, you're healing with your hands. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing out ideas, but, um, well, I think on this podcast, we have often shied away, um, from the flashier, more exotic forms of service that adepthood would take into, uh, account. Uh, the reason that we shy away from that stuff is because for the vast majority of people, uh, you and I included, we're working on those lower centers in order to balance. And an adept is someone who has achieved a minimum amount of balance so that they can start mm-hmm. to work in the indigo ray, in, oh. the, in the ray of self Let's- as creator. And whether or not you do that, I don't think it's necessary for you to know that you're doing that, but I do think it's necessary for you to be conscious of it, even if you don't have a way to place it. And, and see, this is why I was saying before, it's hard to talk about because you either can do it or you can't. You either believe that you are the creator and that you can do, you can manifest this, this, this higher level or you don't. And there's nobody else to say who, you know, whether you are one or the other, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can definitely feel it. So perhaps adepthood is when you have free flowing energy through the red, up through the orange, through the yellow, you move that energy through the green ray energy center of love and even i guess once you get past the green ray you have access to the other rays so assuming that you're also openly communicating freely and you're accessing that indigo that indigo energy ray center essentially you're an adept if you've got that free flowing you know on on all of those levels no matter how you manifest it Maybe exactly. it's maybe it's safe to say you you've reached adepthood. What now? Whatever you choose to do with that, that's your free will. But when you're there, maybe you're there. And you know, maybe maybe others would have um, different ways of describing this. I'm totally open to that because I'm not really, I really don't think about adepthood that much. Um, I try to be where I'm at, and that's mm. fine. Uh, I think it's only necessary to discuss. In this specific context of Indigo Ray, because the self as creator can only be an experience that you have 
once you have minimally balanced, you minimally unblocked and have been able to love and accept yourself in the green ray. And maybe uh, you've had some experience in being able to share this, right? You've been able Mm. to share this. You've been able to not simply feel the unity of things, but also plant some seeds in others about it and uh, start to work. You know, Blu-ray honesty is kind of that first uh, uh, ability to open up the opaque self and show people what's inside something, something, uh, very delicate and very, uh, uh, intimate, uh, that you can share with them and, 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 and get closer and, and not just in that orange ray of like, this is who I really am, but in that blue ray of this is who we really are, right? Like this is who you and I are. And I am showing, sharing with you that compassion, that love, uh, that, ability to see the self uh in this new light hopefully that takes with the other person or it doesn't right Mm -hmm. but um those are all what i'm thinking and i'm just speculating here but i'm thinking is that the different lessons involved in these energy centers naturally lead to the point where like okay you have used third density physical manifestation well you have exercised it. You have seen the five different ways that it can be used very well. And now the energy is flowing into your third eye, into your indigo ray center. Uh, and now um, the next steps involve something a little bit more refined, a little bit more mystical. It, 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 and another way of saying adept is mystic. Hmm. That's a, it's that's somebody good. who can work on this deeper level. It doesn't mean that we don't work on that deeper level, even if we have our chakras blocked or whatever. It just means that you participated in it more consciously, Mm -hmm. right? And and remember, you don't have to know what it is to participate consciously, Mm -hmm. but you do have to kind of like have that feeling, have that contact in order to be able to to, to explore Indigo Ray. Mm -hmm. I think everybody explores Indigo Ray to a certain extent at some point throughout their life. Maybe I'm wrong, but it tends to be these like, you know, charmed moments, right? Sure. These these out of time moments that uh, happen to you. Mm-hmm. An adept is uh, somebody who has finally started to say, "Okay, I'm going to start making these things happen a little bit more." Not that not that you are uh, uh, dictating your lessons or dictating your life. Uh, you just have deeper levels in which the yellow ray ego personality that you think you are is more and more balanced and more of a tool acting in harmony with all of these other energy bodies to bring into manifestation the highest, purest, and best. Hmm. I hope that I haven't confused folks. <laughs> no, let's see. Carla writes quickly about, um, I do believe in her book, Living the Law of One, 101, The Choice. Yeah. I do believe Indigo and Violet is a relatively quick section compared to some of the yeah. other sections. But she does write, she says, The higher chakras are very useful to the developing player, meaning the player on the capital G game board, but not essential for graduation. In other words, our move to fourth density. So keeping the heart open is job one. The indigo ray, like the blue ray, cannot work at all unless the heart is open and flowing. So when we work in the indigo and violet rays, we must keep the heart open. And I think this is a good part. 
right here. The indigo ray work we are access mm, in indigo ray work, we are accessing the possibility of getting help from quote unquote above for the first time. We are forming our intention to reach upwards through the indigo and violet rays and then through the gateway to intelligent infinity for specific inspiration from the world of spirit. That's helpful. I particularly like in indigo ray work, we are accessing the possibility of getting help from above for the first time. So yes. it's so it's like you move through that. All right, red ray, orange, yellow, green. These are these are me. This is all me. Blue ray. Yep, I'm even more open. Once you get to indigo, it's like oh, I got access to something else. Hey, <laughs> cool. Adepted. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is. Well, it, it, uh, I think that even Buddhists would agree that in the in that center, you start transcending the limited self. Mm. Um, how that transcendence actually manifests into physical reality. I mean, who knows, right? Like oh, yeah. it could be anything. Um, but as we bring our energy centers into tune with each other and slowly unblock them so that, uh, not only can the flow occur more towards the indigo ray, but it can, uh, flow even more volume, right? Mm-hmm. Cause there's blockage mm-hmm. and there's, there's, balance amongst the centers there's these two kind of like axes that we're working on i believe that the confederation uh really wants us to balance one to the other first so that we have kind of like a basis for a balanced uh approach towards whatever issues are involved in the blockages Mm -hmm. then once we have a little bit of balance amongst them we dive into each center and we kind of like see uh what what what, uh, you know, if I'm having an issue with like, uh, anger, okay, well, what's the red ray, uh, aspect of this? What's mm-hmm. the yellow ray? What's the blue ray? You know, just going through and taking an inventory of our issues, uh, because we have a minimum foundation that we're not going to rock one way or another. We're not going to be thrown off. Um, so we can start to dive in there. And then as that energy flows more and more, um, our experience of the indigo ray of adepthood of participation in the more mystical side of experience, mm-hmm. uh, becomes greater. Uh, so I think it really does have to do with this only comes open. This third eye only comes open when you're ready. Mm. Um, the goal is to be in a more balanced state so that you can be ready more often. And it does, isn't something that once again, simply happens to you. It's something that you can be more and more available for, right? Mm -hmm. Talking about the violet ray is about as fast as you can go. (laughs) The violet (laughs) ray is essentially a readout of your current vibrational pattern of your entire vibrational spectrum. Correct. Oh, what's up? Hey, can we, can we reverse for just one second? There was one other aspect of indigo I wanted to discuss. And Carla puts a lot of emphasis on this. Um, at least I remember her putting a lot of emphasis on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so self as creator is a lot of the experience of indigo, but it's also, um, like a true and deep acceptance of the self as a totality. It's a lot about your confidence in your in, in your in your full self uh, as a spiritual being. 
I wanted to put a point on that because I think that's another important aspect of the indigo experience that we get a trust of ourselves as not simply as a social being or as an individual one on one being or as a, you know, just a being at all or like a compassionate being, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But a uh, understanding of ourselves as worthy, worthiness is a big part of this. Uh, if you are seeing the self as creator, you are seeing yourself as fundamentally worthy in a way that I just don't think really occurs to us a lot in day-to-day life. Uh, we're thinking of how our reputation is, how we fit in with other people, what we think of them, what they think of us. But at the indigo ray, you're kind of transcending all of that, and it's more about the basic uh, existence of you as a worthy portion of the creator, as creator completely. And I think that idea of worthiness comes up in a lot of confederation channeling. So I wanted to throw it out there and mention it so that the reader could look for it if they're reading through the transcript library. As you get into you know the 90s and 2000s, you'll see Indigo discuss more in this way. Okay. Okay, good point. And then we skip ahead to Violet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to Violet, the kind of the easiest one, which I'm sure you could, we could elaborate on. But Carla writes about the Violet Ray. The Violet Ray is basically a readout of our entire energy body. More than anything we do or say, it is an accurate and unbiased report on our present vibrational situation. I mean, there it is. But is I've heard a concept as well, however, that it is through the violet ray energy center or the crown chakra that energy flows like it enters from two points from your feet or the root chakra and then at the top of your head. OK, you're you're nodding your head like I'm nodding. Okay. Uh, it, and that makes and that makes sense. Right. Mm. At the at the at the end of the train of blockages uh you have a readout of how much of that undifferentiated mm-hmm. love and light from above you actually can't accept so all the sum of all your blockages manifest at, at violet ray and so that filters what you can receive from above as you unblock you open yourself up to more and more from above so that uh the energy can flow through you from above and uh through you from below hmm. okay do you have anything else to add on the violet ray? A speculation Ooh, that I um, like these, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> to the extent that there is a kind of vague relationship between the seven energy centers and the seven densities of experience, there's a vague correlation between uh, the lessons that attend each mm-hmm. density and each chakra. It's not perfect, but I think it is fruitfully meditated upon. I think it's fruitfully contemplated. Uh, then we're talking about um, an energy center in the violet ray uh, that is related to seventh density, which is the density after Ra, uh, those of Ra's density. It is that density where you are starting to feel the uh, spiritual gravity pull you back into oneness with the creator. This is the gateway uh, density to the next octave. And it is um, it is a density in which uh, we are really uh, 
stopped looking back at our past at our quote unquote past experiences ourselves in these um, lower densities. And we are instead looking ahead. And I think that that is why Eve, to an even greater extent than Indigo, Violet is wrapped in mystery. And you will never see the Confederation say much about it other than that. And I think it's precisely because it is a ray at which we are, if we have that, um, if we have all our other centers unblocked, that ray is really bringing in our totality as the creator, not just self as creator, self as worthy, but the total experience of looking forward to uh, the the re the, the full, not just self as creator, but self as completely reunited with all with 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 the creator as a totality. Uh, I hope I'm conveying some of what I'm trying, what I feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's really hard, but I just wanted to, the, the, the gist of it is, uh, study what Confederation sources say about seventh density and see if that gives you any clues for what's involved in the violet ray. And I should probably just leave it there. A quick side note. I'm trying to stay as chill as I can reading through some of these transcripts because I just went through, I think, the third or fourth transcript now in the last, well, in the 80s when they, during the session, it's essentially stated that Hatan is fifth density and Latwi is sixth density. This is like the third or fourth time now that they're on this train and I'm trying to, I'm trying to push down my anxiety i mean it's not really anxiety i'm being dramatic but just push down my like discomfort you know i'm like wait is the conscious channeling quote unquote correct or is the raw channeling correct and you know i'm trying to take a step back and go okay don't don't get caught up in the words let's listen to the message ryan (laughs) you know um but yeah, I just, I find it interesting. I'm on, I think I'm on round three or four of, of hearing that same, that same thing that we're a couple levels behind Hatan, not one level. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, keeping things interesting. They have problems with numbers and they have made errors that they have copped to about which density, which entity is at in the raw contact. Mm-hmm. And if Ra in a um, narrowband trance can do that, uh, definitely <laughs> conscious channeling uh, can produce that effect too. Wouldn't get too caught up in it. What would it matter if, if if it turned out that Hatan was actually fifth density? What difference would it make? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they're like really, really, really low fifth density, right? Yeah. You know, in the same way that like we're actually in fourth density, but it, we haven't really like accepted it yet (laughs) and that's why a lot of this like uh trouble is going on in our planet right now so uh there's a lot of different ways that you could explain it but it's actually easier to just accept the ambiguity of this message uh that we listen to and take it to heart take it to heart that like we do need to exercise our discrimination Mm-hmm. It's way more important to exercise discrimination on matters of true spiritual import than on matters of, you know, where's Hatan now? Um, and that's the kind of uh, 
I wouldn't say that uh, questions of what density Hatan is at is necessarily transient information, but it's getting up there, right? Sure. Like the fix it because it's not. It's not the. There's something that uh, those of Ross say in one of their sessions. It's not the specificity of the information that may, gives it a negative potential. It's the emphasis on the specific information that gives it that negative potential. Mm-hmm. It's drawing you away from looking within for answers, and it's fixating you on this like, like, like little puzzle. The puzzle can serve a purpose. It's not evil or bad. But the point is, is to always come back to self, to always come back to that center that we are establishing in our daily meditation within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it must be hard if, I don't know how this would work, but, you know, it was asked how many sub densities are there. And, you know, essentially it was explained that there's seven sub sub densities and there's seven sub sub densities. And then there's seven sub ad infinitum just you know you know so essentially what we're working with is gradations day upon day year upon year of just constant slow but sure progress so how how could you have that draw a line in the sand and say oh yep now we're here this is way different than where you were a week ago you know that must be incredibly hard to say you know, here's that line. And I understand the concept because in my, in my profession where you're trying to value a company, you know, when it's expensive, you know, when it's cheap, but in between is a huge range of acceptable valuations. And it's, yeah. Where do you draw that line? You kind of can't, you just got to stick a pickle, stick, throw pickles at the wall and see which one sticks and be like, okay, yeah, that one, that one will work. The ancient Greek philosopher Zeno, uh, talked about this paradox. He said, you know, imagine an arrow being shot. Imagine how long it would take to cover half that distance. Then imagine how long it would take to cover half of the remaining distance and then half the remaining distance. In each case, you're talking about a discrete finite number. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that you can keep, you can keep having it. So at what point does it actually get to the target? If it always takes this finite amount of time to cross each half. And uh, that's kind of that's kind of the same issue. It's like, where do you draw that line? Where does it actually cross the threshold? And I think the point is, is that this is an illusion. This is an illusion. Jeremy. It appears that there is distance. I'm pretty it appears sure. appears that there is time. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure we live in a digital universe. <laughs> Or at least I've heard, I've heard this from a a scientific perspective, people arguing that, you know, it is in a sense digital where there does get a point where there is no smooth, you know, uh, vibrational rate change in, in atomic structure. It jumps like there's no, it's a step, you know, it's not a ramp you get to a point where it's a step and, and therefore you can say, yeah, that one, there is one last time where you can't go halfway again. You've got to go the remainder of the distance because you're at that digit, that last, uh, you know, that last step. So Confederation sources talk about the fact that, um, vibration seems to divide itself up into these quanta, Mm. right? And, um, there, there just this just seems to be an aspect of a vibratory universe that uh, militates against our ability to slice and dice things up, right? Mm-hmm. And to say, okay, we understand that over there. Now we're going to look at this over here, and it's like that's not reality. Reality is the totality; it's all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything taken out and examined on its own is going to be missing a huge part. And uh, that's why I think that uh, 
you know, our science will always fail us in a certain way. Hmm. It's a model that is built on a uh, premise that, you know, for example, only things that can be consistently reproduced exist. Well, there's lots of things that yeah. might exist that only happen once in the entire creation, yeah. right? Like they don't they don't exist any less. They just can't be proven. Uh, so and that's fine because science is a good tool for what it does. Mm-hmm. And we need other tools for the rest of <laughs> the rest of human experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well. Let's not get too far off because we got a, another 40, 45 minutes. Um, and I want to start talking about this Kuo session that you had sent me a couple weeks ago now. Um, it's fantastic. What I'd like to do is I'm going to read this group question. Um, and then I'd like to just start running through, reading through this transcript, but stopping at the end of each paragraph and having a little chat because I feel like each paragraph is worthy of its own spitball session or question and answer session and see how you feel because it's just i think this whole transcript is rich with uh with great ideas you want to do the reading yeah is that okay uh you have the golden voice go for it why thank you (laughs) (laughs) quick quick thing about voice you know i studied music in college and uh i remember there was a, one of the lead like vocal teachers or choral teachers was this big man. He was a baritone. And every time he talked, I could feel his chest. It was like his body was resonating with sound. And now every time I, I keep my ears open and if I hear somebody and I can hear their 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 face resonating and their chest resonating i'm like oh you're you're probably a singer but it sounds so nice so i try to emulate that sometimes when i'm talking it's somewhat awkward because i i kind of have to force it but you know you can speak in a certain way where you can actually you can feel a hum in your body you know but but anyway i i digress a little bit but i try to i try to feel that (laughs) when i'm talking sometimes so Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Nice. Give it a try, listeners. Every sometime just, you know, look in the mirror, talk to yourself and see if you can feel that the throat and chest resonate. You'll I bet you you'll sound you'll sound nice. <laughs> and it's a way to get in touch with your body in this whole new level. Uh it's vibratory, so it interacts with the other vibratory mm-hmm. uh phenomena that we uh talk about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So this session is on Sunday, May 7th, 2000. And the group, they have a group question. Uh, Their question is, it concerns the concept of the emotions. A couple of months ago, Kuo described emotions as the thinking of the deep mind and said something about how we might be able to utilize our emotions in our spiritual evolution. And we would like for Kuo to elaborate a little bit more on that today. And Carla begins channeling. We are those known to you as the principal Kuo. Greetings in the love and the light of the one infinite creator. We thank you for calling us to your session of working this day. It is a great blessing. Okay, I am going to skip past this intro because Quo, skip over this, Quo yeah. has the same intro for, for every session. Pretty much. Yeah. So, okay. Quo says, again, through Carla, there is an irresistible pull to evolution. There is implicit in the structure of each density, every potential outworking of every energy 
within that density. In a universe of builded light, the subtleties are endless and, at the same time, progress through the gradually ascending densities is inevitable and irresistible. The only question that each entity faces is, how quickly do I wish to progress? There is no question that you will progress. It is as necessary to our nature to progress as it is for the iron to be drawn to the magnet. It is understandable that you might doubt this, for you see instances of your own lack of perceived progress, and you see apparent lapses in progression on the part of those with whom you come in contact. When these lapses are perceived, it is easy to become discouraged. But we would encourage each of you to meet these judgmental feelings about the self and others with the courage of your conviction that all is proceeding according to an unseen plan. That is the first paragraph. And I even think here there's a few things to chew on. The first, the first thing that came to mind when I read this was the last sentence that ends, it ends, uh, uh, courage of your conviction that all is proceeding according to an unseen plan. And yet again, I go back to my, <laughs> my study of near-death experiences and so many people when they pass away and they're on the other side, they are, so many of them are told th th a few things. You are loved, everything as it is meant to be, and, you know, and everything is okay you know, but everything is as it is meant to be. That is so common just with people dying, <laughs> you know, they don't know what's going on. You feel like, oh, am I going to go to hell? You know, but, but so many people are comforted saying, no, you are loved. Everything is how it's supposed to be. Don't worry. You know, um, so that was the first thing that I thought about. The second thing I thought about, and then I'm going to pass it to you, Jeremy. The second thing that I thought about is the fact that progress is inevitable. And you know what? Sometimes it might not feel if you're, if you take this perspective that you live one life and that's it. Maybe you go to heaven or hell when you're done. Maybe you don't go anywhere. Maybe you just die and you stay in the dirt. But if you have this concept of like only living one life, then perhaps I could understand that it would feel like we're not going to progress. But if it's true that when you pass away and you review your life and you review the lessons that, you know, your soul has learned and you plan your next incarnation with new lessons that you're going to learn to face new challenges to continue to grow, then, yeah, I mean, it's kind of obvious you progress is inevitable. And I think even on just a human level, progress is almost inevitable because Lord knows when you come into a painful situation, a challenging situation, and maybe you don't know how to sort through it, some people can stew in their own pain and discomfort for a while, but sooner or later, I think it's just human nature to figure out a way to move past those challenges that you're having so you can see so you're not miserable every day of your life. Um, at least that's my perspective. Jeremy, do you have any comments on that first paragraph or do you want me to just push forward? You, you covered a lot of good ground that I don't want to, uh, 
uh, <laughs> repeat too much. Um, I do want to point out that uh, it, I, I think it's a good time to say this concept of evolution, of the slow development of life across incarnations in the in, in, in the in, in the all the different kingdoms of life. That emerged in the 19th century through Darwin and others. There, he wasn't the first one to have that idea. But I want to point out that this is a very, very special idea that has come to us late in third density. Uh, it is giving us the the concept through which we can start to understand how we can uh, uh, transcend the limitations of a single life, uh, the myopia, um, and all the suffering that, that, that happens because we live these separate lives. We get a glimpse into a concept that can start to get us over the hump. Um, and it's really just a question of how quickly we want to do things. See, I think there, while everything is well, all is well, and people learn that when they go to the other side, I think they also sometimes have an experience that they wanted to go quicker than they actually were able to. Yeah. I've heard that. And that's that's where some of the regret comes from. It's not that they won't get there. It's that how well, I, I just wish I could have gotten there a little quicker. Hmm. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is there's this concept of well, they say um, there is implicit in the structure of each density every potential outworking of every entity energy within that density. In a universe of builded light, the subtleties are endless and at the same time, progress through the gradually ascending densities is inevitable and irresistible. They are unifying evolution through the densities as the light becomes more dense. Um, with this concept, I think of the archetypal mind. In uh, the law of one, sorry, in the in the raw contact, uh, uh, Ra describes uh, the archetypal mind thusly. Uh, when penetrated lucidly, it is a blueprint of the builded structure of all energy expenditures and all seeking without distortion. I believe that there is, uh, uh, they're tipping their hat to the archetypal mind in this, right? Hmm. The idea of a plan of evolution, uh, that plan is most fundamentally rooted from the point of view of the entire octave of existence in this archetypal mind. So when we get into studying the archetypes, as I'm sure we will do at some point, uh, keep in mind this relationship with evolution, this relation, how we are going through these expenditures of fundamental energy uh, as we evolve and we, we, we sort of discover higher and higher vibrations of that basic expenditure, right? We keep going through these different stations, but we keep finding uh, uh, more refined ways to express ourselves through them. Hmm. And that's all I had to say. It, oh boy, it takes a lot of faith to, I can't say believe, but to trust that you've got more than one shot at this and that there is a larger plan. And boy. But that's where your freedom comes from, right? then you're free to actually do what you want and what you desire and not simply what is required to stay alive, required yeah. to fit in, required to have a good reputation. You're free. I will say, I will. I brought this up, I think in the first episode, maybe the second episode, that um, I have one friend who is a, a devout Christian and his, 
he has, as long as I have known him, he has lived his life in a way that he, as he says, gives glory to God. He just trusts that God has a plan for him. And all he does is hustle. He just moves forward, trusting that things are going to work out. He just has a ton of faith. And you know what? Things are working so well for him, not only just in his career, but his family, his life in general is, you know, you would, you would look at it and you go, that's an enviable life. He's happy. You know, of course he's got challenges, but he just lives with a kind of faith that I really, I won't say envy. It's got kind of the wrong connotation, but I really admire and I try to, I try to copy, mimic that as best as I can, or at least as best as I know how. Ryan, he planted a seed in you. Ain't that funny? He showed you something <laughs> that you don't feel like you have, but you want. He did plant. He led by example. He didn't. He led by He example. didn't witness to me. He didn't tell me I need to find Jesus. He just was the light for all to see. And ah, good job, Jeremy. To be a thank, recipient of that. Thank you for pointing that isn't out. It, yes. Isn't it so uh, wonderful and special and beautiful to be a recipient of that? And then doesn't that inspire you to want to, to be that for others? It does. Not not through doing, but through your very being. Just being. Your very essence. Yes. Yes. Just being. Everyone knows that person they don't want to hang around because they're, for whatever reason, Everyone also knows people they just love to be around for whatever reason. And I would like to be one of those people, <laughs> you know? So, but yes, to, to, I owe my, I don't even think I've told him, but uh, I owe him a, a debt of gratitude, or at least I should let him know one day that he, uh, he did plant that seed and it's, it's grown into something. It's grown into something. Yeah. I'm very grateful to him too. And you know, the way, the way to do this, uh, listeners, uh, we all, we all seek to do it is to be prepared to work on yourself so that when the time is right, you can be there for that other person in that way. Mm -hmm. The point is to do the work of consciousness and the work of disciplining the personality, not because, uh, you know exactly what the plan is and you're going to be uh, ready for that thing. The point is that you don't know. And so you always need to be watching out. I think there's like a biblical quote that talks about, you know, always being on the, the ramparts, like watching, but I can't mm. remember. I just don't know my Bible as well as I wish I Neither did. Do I, one of these days I'm going to read it. I have not read it. I feel like it's, I feel like I should, but, uh, something about one never knows, you know, when, when, when the master's going to come, you know, mm. uh, and visit. And so you have to always be prepared. And it's, mm. and, and like, the idea is like, not to do it out of anxiety. I mean, I don't think you would anyway. I don't think you'd get very far out of anxiety, but to do it out of the celebration of yourself that just as you, you'll have these experiences where you'll jump a quanta, right? Mm -hmm. You won't know how you got there. You're like, oh, I, I, I was working and I, you know, I was figuring out how to get halfway, you know, and then you'll just jump because that's how vibration works. It, it, it self-organizes itself. And when you make a leap, you make a leap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me continue with this session. We'll keep hammering. This session continues. Quo states, you are little by little and step by step gaining experience and awareness and each of you is on a path of strong progression we encourage each of you to come into a fuller understanding as time goes on of the meaning of imperfection 
It was not intended that third density be an illusion in which any conscious seeker after truth could honestly perceive the self as perfect. I want to repeat that sentence. I know. <laughs> this is a slap in the face of like awesome. Quo states, it was not intended that third density be an illusion in which any conscious seeker after truth could honestly perceive the self as perfect. <sighs> yes, okay, I'm going to I'm going to push through. It was in fact designed into third density experience that from beginning to end each person's personal experience will include perceptions of the self as being subtly or grossly imperfect. Not once, not twice, not three times, but seven times and seven times seven. In other words, cyclically, without an end, throughout the incarnational experience. And now this is me talking, but in other words, when we're in third density, we're screwed. <laughs> you are going to always see the imperfections in yourself. And I can so relate to this because I have been hitting my row machine so hard the last week because <laughs> I have not exercised for like two months and I'm starting to just notice in myself and I'm just getting really unhappy with how I'm starting to look. You know, it's, it's so funny that I can, this is completely speaking to me, at least with just some recent experience, but I guess it's never going away. <laughs> I hear you, man. It's kind of like my brother, my brother's in really good shape and he's like, I just don't allow myself to ever get out of shape. And so I never have, I never want to see myself, you know, overweight. Mm -hmm. And so I never do. I just, you know, he makes it sound like it's this torture. <laughs> and I guess it kind of is because it's a, an inability to accept yourself as anything different, mm -hmm. but it's also, in a way, uh, a real love of of yourself in a very, very deep way because it is. Oh man, now we're. I don't want to get into the archetypes, but um, <laughs> this idea of um, the body as something that needs to be worked with, um, and that it is in the working with, it is in the use of it, the exhaustion of it, even is how you show it love, how you balance it, right? Like. Mm. I don't know. I can't get too far into that mm. <laughs> without going well, way off. Yeah, the event. Gosh, there's so many opportunities for great <laughs> adventures we can take not on the path of what we're discussing. But I, I will point one thing out that's slightly off that topic. Mm. Um, notice how they talk about, um, you know, you can't honestly perceive the self as perfect. And yet, what was one of the rays that we just talked about? The indigo ray is the ray of seeing the self as creator. The indigo ray is the ray of seeing the self as perfect. All I want to point out is that, you know, indigo ray work isn't really intended for third density. So keep that in mind. I think actually later in this transcript, Quo even discusses the difference or that once you get into the blu-ray or if you work in the blu-ray and you forget about the green ray and the stuff below you know we're going to cover that so a very good very good point yeah um i also and just pointing out like the seven times seven times seven like this is the kind of language that is often used in mystical literature you know it's very uh biblical there i think what they're doing is they're just tapping into deep wells of expression of these uh, uh of these truths like cycles you know um 
and and you can see uh, they're talking about little by little, step by step, um, gaining in experience and awareness. Like you're talking about these moves through these sub and sub sub and sub 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 densities, right? These little inner densities of third density uh, that 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 gradate our consciousness. Mm -hmm. It is not a smooth progression. We leap, mm -hmm. and so we have these little little uh, breakthroughs of awareness happening all the time that add up to bigger ones that add up to bigger ones and in all of this you're never going to see you're never really going to like yourself on on the self's merits yeah. the point right like like when we perceive the self as imperfect it's because we we perceive our merit our worthiness as imperfect right we haven't done the thing to make us worthy to make us perfect mm -hmm. we've made so many mistakes and so the ability the ability to work within that discomfort is a real source of energy and i think it's right there that ability to do that is a is a level of consciousness that allows us to go to fourth density and higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Um, the next, next part of this transcript, Quo continues. This would seem to be a recipe for discouragement, heavy heartedness, and feelings of hopelessness. And yet the actual intent is the opposite. You see, as the spirit awakens, this process of spiritual and mental evolution begins to accelerate. Whereas, before awakening, you were content to stake upon the surface of life as though it were a pond. Once you have awakened, you are aware, uh, you are aware of and drawn to the depths of each present moment. The profundities, implications, Resonances and overtones of each present moment are infinite. The learning in each present moment is potentially infinite. The gateway to intelligent infinity lies within each present moment. As the spirit awakens, it becomes gradually more able to hear the far more complex symphony of messages that are coming in within each present moment. Hmm. What do you make of that? The spirit complex is first taken out of potentiation and into uh, kinetic actuality in third density. That is what it means, I think, uh, to be self-aware, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to be sentient in the way that like, you know, animals and plants aren't. It is that ability to reflect that the spirit provides us. Um, so as they're talking about evolution, it's worthwhile to uh, to contemplate, okay, in third density, this is the first time that we're actually uh, uh, consciously perceiving ourselves as not just mental uh, organisms or physical organisms, mm -hmm. but something deeper, and that we're the agents for this something deeper. Something uh, broader, more connected to the to the infinity of 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 what is, and I, I think that uh, all another thing that they're pointing out is that this evolution is full of uh, points in time where you can leap, where you can find something in your experience that unlocks uh, uh, the gateway to intelligent infinity. Mm -hmm. That's a br that's a bold statement for them to make, it but. Is. 
isn't it true that like there's so much wrapped up in our lives that we gloss over? And if we could just have a little bit more awareness, if we could be a little bit more prepared mm. for when it happens and see deeper, uh, then we have that potential at every moment. And I think this is, uh, this is why we should not be discouraged, even though things seem like they're uh, hopeless. Um, you know, we always have that moment that we can ov- not overcome, but uh, uh, expand our perspective. And totally change where we think we are on the board. Hmm. It is that it is that perception that is infinitely malleable, and then the perception changes the whole reality that we think that we're in. Hmm. There's a there's a line in here that makes me feel I'm just hanging on the side of a chasm, like with my fingertips, I'm about to fall in, and I just it feels like this is really deep. If I could meditate on this, it's. Once you have awakened, you are aware of and drawn to the depths of each present moment, the profundities, implications, resonances, and overtones of each present moment are infinite. That's a, that's a bold statement, you know? Well, it goes to show you like, this is, this is why we skate on top of it. This is why we don't go into it because it has so much power in it. It's one reason why we don't go into it. We, I, I think on a, on a deep level, we recognize the power that's available in every given moment mm. and we try to get beyond it, right? We try to think about being somewhere else, someplace else, right? Like once we, uh, the spirit awakens at a sufficient level, we don't have a hunger for anything but what's going on right now, mm-hmm. how that can wake us up to reality, right? What we're waking up to is the illusory nature of this experience and the deeper illusions that can teach us more, that can help us connect with people more, that can help us serve better. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, powerful. So the next quote continues here with this transcript. The resulting weight of experience can be crushing and typically the spiritual seeker will scramble for a way to control this process which seems too chaotic to be useful. The first defense of an entity which wishes to control experience is the analytical, logical, reasoning mind. There is the desire to get hold of the experience, to rationalize it, and to understand the workings of it by analysis and logic. Great religious systems have been built which encourage and structure such intellectual and logical analysis of experience. We offer, for instance, the Buddhist, the yogic, and the Taoist systems of study, learning and worship as those system... um, I'm sorry. We offer, for instance, the Buddhist, the yogic, and the Taoist systems of study, learning and worship as those systems which are primarily designed to utilize the intellect and the faculties of reason and logic in becoming able to distance the self from those things which are occurring to the self and which the self is feeling. We call this basic approach the way of wisdom. It has many advantages for the seeker, And for those who are unable to move directly to working with the emotions, we encourage the pursuit of such study, 
for it does accelerate, to some extent, the evolution of spirit and mind. However, the way of wisdom as a general discipline, and here we do overgeneralize for effect, is a way of remaining comfortable while learning, thus obviating the main thrust of the third density experience. Hmm. Gut reaction, Jeremy, go. They uh, are, well, first of all, uh, every seeker knows what they mean by the crushing weight of experience Mm. and that we, what do we do on this podcast, (laughs) Ryan, but try to analyze it Mm. and figure it out. Now it's, it's, it's uh, notable that they don't, they don't uh, disclaim that, right? Like uh, it's not wrong. uh, And uh, we can learn something. I think both of us have learned just by talking with each other about this stuff, as I've learned mm-hmm. with uh, talking with others and you have, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they are trying to uh, talk about an approach to balancing experience that is more head than heart. Uh, that's and they, great. Uh, and they, and they uh, identify Buddhism and these more Eastern philosophies as encompassing that kind of approach where instead of learning uh and i don't think it's a completely uh uh accurate mm-hmm. because there are there are forms of buddhism that very much deal with emotion but i do agree with the with the overgeneralization that to the extent that they try to escape duality escape emotion like they're trying to get out of the illusion uh they are not using their illusion <laughs> as uh mr rose would say uh they are uh uh trying to transcend it um uh they are trying to overcome it mm-hmm. if to, to to harken back to uh one of my favorite rock quotes which is uh that which is not needed shall fall away you don't need to overcome your limitations, you need to, uh, the, the balance. And then those limit, those, uh, things would fall away that you don't no longer need. Uh, what they are trying to do instead is just overcome it to get beyond the point where the emotions keep them in this terrified state, keep them in this state of constantly reacting. They want to get above that. Mm-hmm. And that's a completely rational, uh, response. I mean, if you look at, uh, the world of, you know, what is it third fourth century uh bc uh india that gautama buddha uh incarnated into there was an immense amount of suffering Mm -hmm. um and it is it it, you know he was royal so it makes sense that there would be this idea baked in of overcoming of being above all of this and it is a completely valid way to go about but i think as we'll see later on um, it has disadvantages that the Confederation would like to point out. Hmm. Hmm. I have some thoughts on that paragraph, but I don't know what I think about them. I don't know how I feel about them quite yet. So I want to, I'm going to wait to comment. You made me shoot from the hip though. Good job. That's not fair. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just, I'm thinking of, okay, you be, you want to become a spiritual seeker, but maybe you're, let's be honest, maybe you're overly emotional, right? Maybe you just, yes. you don't have your emotions in check. Well, Kuo is stating, hey, 
here are some religious systems, Buddhism, yo, yo, is yogism, that's not a religion, <laughs> the yogic tradition and the Taoist mm-hmm. system. These are tools that perhaps encourage the use of the intellect and rationalization and kind of separating the self as quo states from the self and the experience of the self. So there are tools available if you're looking for a way to seek, but you feel like maybe you're not making progress or maybe let's be honest, you're just a little over emotional and uh, we need an extra tool in the toolkit to help, you know, to help sort through some of these things. So, yeah, I I don't think that's an inaccurate view. Okay. Um, And it's worth pointing out that, um, for me personally, I see uh, the emphasis on the mental aspect as a way to achieve enlightenment. Um, one of the problems with it is that uh, it is in the mind that uh, the vast majority, I believe, of blockages of our energy occur. And the, the, the blockages are created, I believe, because of our rejection of emotional experiences. It is the emotions that create the, 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 the reason for coming up with mental constructs to contain, repress, uh, contextualize in some way that puts them in their place for us mm-hmm. to make it less chaotic mm-hmm. and to make it more like our mind takes the emotions and makes them less chaotic, mm-hmm. but in doing so loses something. I would again refer you to Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind because he's mm. got – he developed these questions for uh, develop, or for um, understanding a person's morality. He developed these this question set that on its surface are – could be quite inflammatory like he has this one question about is this right or wrong and his question is essentially about a guy going to a farm buying a chicken having sex with his chicken and then then butchering it that night and then eating it and the question is did he do anything wrong you know Mm -hmm. and he's got a series of these questions and people would have to react and he could actually tie people's answers into whether or not you could consider them conservative or progressive and yeah you know but his reasoning his his, again his reasoning about how people come to these decisions is very insightful but a lot of it has to do with the intellect and how sometimes the intellect does battle with the emotions because you have an immediate emotional response but then you can intellectualize rationalize and you can kind of work your way in this other direction to say hey maybe my emotions were incorrect but my mind you know so there's this interesting separation so again highly recommended non-spiritual book but just very insightful to the human (laughs) the human self you know so anyway quo continues in this wonderful transcript there is another way to look at this process of learning from experience and that is shall we say the way of the open heart or the way of love The religion which is known to this group as Christianity is a system of study and learning and worship which moves along this path of love or the path of the open heart. And it encourages the utilization of emotion. Now let us look at why this might be. What are emotions exactly? If you can gaze at the panoply and scope of your life experience, you can see a definite progression and coherent trail of emotions that are difficult and emotions that are wonderful. 
Both kinds of emotions have cropped up within the life experience in response to the difficulties and challenges of the Incarnation and in response to the gifts and joys that are spontaneously given to the heart, whether it be the song of a bird, the smile of a child, a thought that is read in a favorite book, or anything which has enlarged joy and encouraged faith within you as a spiritual seeker. For the most part, it well may seem that the difficult emotions, anger, guilt, remorse, fear, grief, jealousy, pride, alienation, are very much in the majority, and that the joyful emotions are given out with the miser's hand. And indeed, this seems unfair. What is the justification for the sure fate or suffering of, I'm sorry, or what is the justice? Surfeit of suffering. Surfeit of, thank you. I, that's the first time I've ever heard, read that word. What is the justification for the surfeit of suffering that each awakening spiritual seeker seems to face? Hmm. I won't make you shoot from the hip on this one. I want to go first. I just want to point out that this kind of hits hard for, I think, just human nature. We tend to see the negative in a lot of things. Humans in general tend to see the negative. You know, I think as a people, we're kind of half glass empty. You know, um, there, I think evolutionary psychologists would would argue that it's because you have to think negatively because maybe you're going to run out of food or maybe you're going to get have to fight a bear and therefore you're always looking for the danger. But it, that does seem to be the reality that, um, that for a lot of people, they see the negative and the worry rather than seeing the joy in, in a lot of experiences. Well, as I think they're going to go about pointing out, um, it, you know, you, you don't, uh, it, it's the friction <laughs> of growth, mm -hmm. right. Of movement. Movement has friction, right? And that's what we recognize. And it, like when we're on the path, we are bumping up against things that we need to reckon with. Um, I also wanted to go back to this uh, this uh, exaltation of Christianity that often <laughs> uh, happens in uh, Carla's channeling. I just want to put that in perspective. I don't think that the Confederation is saying that Christianity is better than Buddhism or anything silly like that. Uh, and in fact, uh, you could argue that Christianity's uh, direct line to emotion and the open heart was largely uh, 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 bred out of it by the Romans mm. <laughs> and, 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 and specifically the Greeks. I mean, it, it's in Christianity that we come up with the idea of something called theology. Just the uh, uh, mashing together of religion with philosophy. And they've made Christianity, you know, you think of the scholastics and uh, St. Augustine mm -hmm, and all of mm -hmm. these like deep thinkers about Christianity, that a lot of what they've done is made an intellectual system out That's of That's interesting. That's a lot of what the Catholic Church relies upon. And it's kind of how they promulgate their faith, right? Mm -hmm. Through these you know, intellectual understandings, these almost like um, ideological understandings of Christianity, right? Where when it really is, is about are you are you helping your neighbor? Are you seeing your neighbor as a creator or not? Um, mm -hmm. So I just want to point that out that like every religious path has this head centric part and every religious path has this heart centered part. And the issue is not what 
what religion you're in, but how are you using the stuff, the material of life to polarize, to evolve? I mean, that that's what's really important. And um, I just think it it is worth pointing out that I think the life of Jesus does provide, you know, divorced of all the theology, very good example mm-hmm. of living with an open heart. I mean, even to the point where he, you know, drives the money changers out of the temple. I mean, I think a lot about that story of Jesus's life and what that means. And one thing that you can say for sure is that it is emotional, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I have I'm I'm taking this as a cue that I need to I need to beef up on my Jesus history. I read a very interesting uh, Twitter thread where um, this finance guy, <laughs> I guess he's a, he's an atheist, but he happens to study Christianity, and he was responding to a question as to why that was, and he listed out a couple things about what what he uh, enjoyed in his studies, but he made a comment about Jesus, and he talked about Paul. And I don't know the veracity of this, but it makes me want to look into it. He said, Paul, who before he was Paul was Saul of Tarsus and Paul or Saul persecuted Christians. (laughs) He was not a nice guy, put it that way. And he had one meeting with Jesus and he became one of his most devout followers. And so whatever that interaction was, or, I mean, again, I don't know the veracity of this. Yeah. I need to look into it. But I, I thought Paul was lived long after Jesus. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I thought Peter and Paul were the two. Oh, boy. See, friends, this is why Ryan needs to study his uh, Bible at home. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. But it, if only we still had Carla because she knew all oh, this man. like the back of her hand. But uh, from at least this guy's Twitter response was that Paul, you know, he had one. He met Jesus once. And after that single meeting became a devout follower and, you know, experienced the same kind of persecution that he committed uh, uh, amongst others. Actually, a lot of his disciples all stood their ground, so to speak, even after Jesus passed away. So whatever they experienced with Jesus was powerful enough that they they stood with him, so to speak, and some of them suffered terrible deaths, but none of them renounced him. So call it what you will, their experiences were strong enough that they you know, that means something. And that, that it's, it's a little exciting for me. I'm like, holy cow, what did the, what did they experience? Like, you know, I want to, I want to yeah. know, I want to get, I want to get some of that. I want to read about that or I want to, you know, try to understand it. But anyway, it's making me think I got to, I, you know, I need to open up my Bible and just read some what's in there. I've been feeling the same. Mm-hmm. It's just, it feels like uh, a lot of the Bible is filled with the same kind of material that happens at the beginning of every uh, channeling mm. transcript where mm. there's just a lot of filler, yeah. right? It's like all the same stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, oh, and let's not forget where we're at right now is we're asking, we're not talking about Christianity. Mm. We're talking about, um, Hey, this seems more like more negative emotions than positive emotion. Yes. What gives, what gives quote continues quote states life is energy. Progress within life is a shift in energies. Everything that you do and everything that you think creates a certain vibrational energy and the summation of all these processes of energy changes and exchanges within your, I read that terribly, I'm sorry, and the summation of all these processes of energy changes and exchanges within your life 
represent an energy system or field that has a certain strength. To an awakened seeker who is pursuing the way of wisdom, these energies move in a spontaneous manner, and the seeker's goal is, more or less, to allow them to proceed. This allows the seeker to remain relatively peaceful and comfortable. However, this also creates a stiffness and resistance within the process of transformation, and this is where we get into what emotions are. Dun, dun, dun. Should we pause or should we keep going? I think that's pretty clear. Okay, wonderful. If, uh, quote continues, if the way of wisdom contains a linear structure so that one can follow one's processes and talk logically about them, it also holds the energy within the higher chakras or energy centers. You guys are getting a little taste of what it's like for me to read through these LL research transcripts where sometimes the punctuation doesn't feel correct to me. So I, you know, these sentences have a whole bunch of different meanings depending on where you stress the words. So yes, if the way of wisdom contains a linear structure so that one can follow one's processes and talk logically about them, it also holds the energy within the higher chakras or energy centers. Working with wisdom is not working with heart or with the lower energies, but rather largely the indigo ray and to some extent the blue ray energy centers. I kind of want to pause and just reiterate that. When you are working with wisdom, when you're working with that intellectual side of things, you're not working with those lower energy centers. You kind of Maybe skip over them, ignore them, but you're really focused in that indigo ray and possibly even a little bit of the blue ray. You're trying to prevent yourself from being shaped by them, hmm. right? You're trying to establish a self that is over and above and beyond these emotions. And uh, those of Kuo are going to explain what this entails, mm -hmm. right? And what the, what, the res what the result of that is. Kuo continues. While it is good to do work in consciousness in this manner, it is also somewhat imbalanced because there is no encouragement of the flow of energy through the system, but rather the holding of energy in the higher chakras. Conversely, when one is working in the way of the open heart, one is constantly faced with the entire spectrum of self from the lowest and most primitive emotion the desire for survival, the desire for sexual reproduction, the desire for food and safety, upwards throughout the system, touching all of the energy centers, rising as high as indigo ray, but again and again springboarding from the heart. So that instead of the seeker moving into and maintaining as the steady state reliance on the higher chakras, the seeker in the way of love has released the preference for work in the higher energy center and has accepted the self as a full energy system and reconfigured the goal from staying in the higher energies to accelerating the flow of energy throughout the entire system. Instead of a safe but somewhat turgid and slow-moving path of energy, refinement... Mm, there it is again. Instead... <laughs> 
Instead of a safe but somewhat turgid and f- and slow-moving path of energy refinement, the brother and sister of the open heart are attempting to take the whole self as it is and through blind faith alone and the processes of self-acceptance and self-forgiveness, blessing, forgiving, redeeming, transforming, and offering each and every emotion and sensation to the one infinite creator. A long, a long paragraph with some, with some nice big words in there. Um, but to boil it down, working in that higher energy ray. I th- we almost discussed this when we were talking about the blue ray, you know, uh, people trying to work in those higher rays, but then it doesn't, you know, they're missing something. Uh, they skip over those lower energy, lower energy centers here. Quo kind of makes it clear. Okay. It's fine to work in that higher center, but you're missing, you're missing a lot of the experience. You're missing a lot of what is available. Um, if you skip through those lower energy centers, what you are doing, in my opinion, is each of those energy centers, each of those rays offers you a view of yourself a view of existence and experience. And somebody who stays in the indigo says, I only want to see myself as this one thing. All that other stuff down there, that's just something I'm overcoming, right? That's just mm. my baggage. I'll, I, I, I need to overcome that. And you can see how this is a, a way of using one's will in a way to energize the intellect and to, and, to, and to push through the material of life rather than to let the material of life wear down your rough edges and bring you in the fourth density as a forged in fire statue, as those of us say, right? You've been, you've been worn down by these experiences of not being able to accept and love and you've learned your lessons, right? And like you have the emotional stability where now when you go to Indigo Ray, uh, you can bring that stuff down into your everyday experience so much more easily. It's in balance with your overall concept of self. And it isn't something that is uh, achieved in contradistinction to the rest of the self, right? Yeah. And it still makes me think of one's relatability to others. And if you are looking to be that kind of person that is able to plant seeds in others. Perhaps it's not good to skip over those lower energy centers and try to stay in those higher energy centers. How are you going to empathize and truly relate to people if you can't, if you can't understand and feel what they're feeling? You know, if you just intellectualize away their struggles and their pains and, you know, and say, oh, it's all a part of the, the plant, the bigger plan or whatever it is, I can see how you could might come off as callous and cold, even though you may not be, you totally may not be, but shutting down that part of yourself, um, you know, you might be a little bit harder to relate to. I think, I think that although I wouldn't say that Buddhists are perceived by normal people as callous and cold, I don't think that's quite the way that they're perceived. They are perceived as distinct, that somehow they're in a different flow than we mm. are. And mm. what we want that they have is something that uh, they have been able to achieve through their big brain. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. And that's, you know, 
hey, look, not all of us got a big brain, right? Like not all of us chose the gift of intellect. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a deeper thing here that they talk about with respect to offering all of these emotions that we are allowing ourselves to experience by not singling out the indigo ray as the place we want to be Mm -hmm. by balancing across all these different energy rays and dealing with these emotions head on we are offering to the creator something this uh concept of offering experience to the creator is a real mystery i think um and it's something that uh in talking with uh other law of one students uh like my friend eric we really puzzle about this um because uh, he, w- we were actually discussing this transcript uh, in an email communication, and I still have yet to get back to him because, as you can see, I'm still working through all of this. Um, but it, what what they're really talking about here is the process of catalysis, um, of the way that experience uh, kind of triggers us, and it is in that triggering that we often think that we are uh, provoked and our worst selves come out, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we lose control, but what they're actually saying is it's actually showing us ourselves and it's showing us what is there, what energy is there that we could be harnessing if only we were balanced. And furthermore, in achieving that balance and learning how to balance in the way that only we as unique energy systems can do, we are teaching the creator something about the nature of itself. More than that, uh, being meant by uh, offering this emotion to the creator, I don't quite understand. But I do think that like we need to understand this whole process of evolution and dealing with the stuff of life and 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 uh, uh, learning to accept ourselves and to polarize in order to move forward. This is all the creator understanding itself. We are that one neuron in the creator's brain learning that particular lesson at that particular location mm-hmm. in the brain. And so that's why we're completely irreplaceable. But even though, and even though we go through the same evolution, we perceive it slightly differently and we take the lesson slightly differently. And those are precious, apparently, to the creator. Mm-hmm. I hate to end it here. Oh, goodness. But I've got to end it here. <laughs> I've got to save the rest of this for next time. Um, Oh, this is a terrible place to stop because this is such a good transcript. But I think I'm going to let this simmer a lot. The concept, because I will, I will tell you what, um, I used to be all in the emotions. I used to be that guy that had no, I'd say no access to the indigo. I, you know, I barely got to the yellow, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I, I, I can't remember when this was, but I just had a, you know, a few experiences like reading books. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't start reading until I was 29, like consistently reading books and getting exposed to ideas until I was 29. But once I started doing that, it was like a complete game changer for me. But that kind of flipped a switch where in, in my reading, I realized that so many of the things that I felt about the world were somewhat unfounded. And I kind of took a left turn or I kind of shifted gears. I shut that part off and I became that over intellectual person where I was like, what do the facts say? You know, <laughs> like I forget how you're feeling. Like, what is the, what's, you know, what's the data. And, um, I've since moved back, you know, from that kind of far other, the pendulum has swung, but 
it, it, this just gives me such good stuff to chew on about what's the, what's the spiritual and metaphysical, mm, you know, what's that, what's that side of the coin? What's the spiritual side of the coin of that, that past stuff that I went through with, you know, economic ideas and finance ideas, but what's the kind of the spiritual component? I, I will, uh, a little teaser for the, for the study of the archetypes is that, um, in the transformation of the mind archetype, uh, the image shows a, uh, male being pulled in two directions, in two directions with their arm crossed and being pulled by two different women. And they say that there's a rocking back and forth between one mm -hmm. to the other as transformation occurs, transformation as a state of being, right? How is it a state of being, right? It's it's you're you're going from one to another, but there's something about being in that process of transformation, of coming into a new mind, uh, that requires you to kind of like bounce about for a bit. And I think we all do that. Mm -hmm. I think we all go one way or another as we explore something, as we feel it out. So um that that makes complete sense to me. I don't think that it's too big of a deal that we're dropping off here because we've tied emotions. Um, and their experience to the indigo ray. And so we've, we've, we've completed that circle. Yes. Now we are, uh, home free to just talk about emotions and, yes. uh, their purification. Yes. The signal thing that I wanted to talk about in here. Yes. Well, I do like the fact that again, going back to like the first time we discussed the energy centers, it provides a good vocabulary or a good mental template of how to address certain issues. Um, so I'm very happy that, that the energy center concept is oh thanks buddy <laughs> i guess it's it's time to you go you gotta go it's now. time to go to our <laughs> he's he's excited okay oh, he's excited to go to cousins okay buddy. oh well, boy my friend is going to do a sign off okay we're gonna we're gonna come back next week we'll hammer this out and my friend Please, in the meantime, please tell me which um, uh, tarot deck I should get because I want to have these pictures in front of me. I, I want to look at these pictures and then we got to get this on the calendar for when we're going to do start doing the archetypes because it is so way off my radar as far as understanding those. Um, I need to start doing homework. Well, uh, listeners, uh, go ahead if you want and read the uh, the rest of that transcript so you're prepared for next week. I'll, I will uh, try to take notes, too. And as you do that, as always, stay in the love and light.